We have two readings this morning. Uh, The first chapter of Ecclesiastes and a couple of verses from Hebrews. We'd encourage you uh, to take the Bibles like this from the back of of the chairs and uh, turn uh, with us to page 670 uh, for the reading in Ecclesiastes. Uh, And uh, if you want to put your finger in page 1207, that's the reading from Hebrews. Just a couple of verses there. Um, Follow that or not as you wish. But we would encourage you to follow the reading in Ecclesiastes on page 670. In this chapter, uh, the writer reflects on uh, life on the earth. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look... I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And we turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, where the writer there reflects on things after life in this world. Hebrews chapter 9, we're starting to to read in in the middle of uh, verse 26. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Thank you very much. Well, if... um If you could keep Ecclesiastes open, it's page 670, that would be really helpful. And I wonder how that made you feel. 
Just chapter 1 there, as Philip read it for us. Uh, Thoroughly depressed, wish you hadn't really quite bothered with church this morning. Uh, Wondering what on earth I'm going to get out of that for a sermon. Uh, Well, this morning we start a series on Ecclesiastes. We're going to be uh, slightly in and out of it because we've got uh, the first Sunday of the month. uh, We're going to continue, as we've said, through the whole of this year, preaching on prayer on the first Sunday. Uh, And, for instance, uh, uh, we've got Miracle Lab uh, next week and so on. Um, And it is certainly clear that Ecclesiastes is a different kind of book. Many years ago, I, I was involved in getting some Bible reading notes written for teenagers I've got uh, most of the set at home. And uh, this is the introduction that those notes give to Ecclesiastes. You will find it grippier than a carpet rod, more puzzling than a puzzly thing, and yet with a light at the end of the tunnel, which isn't a train coming, but a little guy looking for you with a torch. And then it goes on to explain that Ecclesiastes has recurring themes rather than a clear structure. Uh, And then it says, uh, if it was a poker hand, it would be a flush, not a run, or something. Now, I've no idea what a flush or a run is in poker, but if you you know that might be helpful, possibly not. Perhaps I shouldn't have mentioned it. Anyway, uh, we're going to uh, pray now that God would help us to uh, uh, understand and to think along with the teacher. Uh, in terms uh, as he talks and he thinks through the meaning of life. So let's pray together now. For we pray that you would help us to, uh, uh, to think along with this man who calls himself the teacher at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. And we pray, Father, that throughout this series you'd help us to understand life and see what this book of yours has to teach us about living it, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there are some great one-liners in Ecclesiastes, as, uh, uh, as you may well know. For instance, the end of verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. Or chapter 3 and verse 1, just across the page from where we are, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens and so on. So there's some great one-liners, but at the same time in Ecclesiastes, there's actually um, uh, some of the themes are really quite hard to grasp. Nevertheless, as George Bernard Shaw said about it, uh, he compared Ecclesiastes with Shakespeare in terms of the quality of the writing. But there's no doubt it is written in a, in a different kind of way. It feels as if, if it were a cat, it's just playing with its prey. It's kind of toying with uh, ideas and so on. He goes round in circles, he ponders, he thinks, he's quite enigmatic in the way he goes about things. Uh, He's saying life is messy and he's trying to work it out. It's rather like someone thinking out loud. And uh, Tolstoy said uh, this. Uh, He said, why do I live? Why do I wish for anything or do anything? Or expressed another way, is there any meaning in my life that will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death which awaits me? And that is exactly what Ecclesiastes is about. Because the great and daunting fact of death means that we will, actually, we will say, well, actually, what is the point of all this? What is the point of life and living? And Ecclesiastes takes us on a journey. 
And he says, if this life is all that there is, and if at the end we die, and then we cease to exist, and it's oblivion, and there is nothing more than that, then he says, actually, life is pointless. It's a total, complete, and utter waste of time. But he says, actually, there is a God. There is an eternity. There is a judgment day beyond death. And in fact, that gives meaning and purpose to every moment of every day and to everything that we do. That is what Ecclesiastes is saying. Life beyond death puts everything into perspective within life this side of death and therefore gives a purpose and a meaning to absolutely everything. So I've called this sermon, uh, as we look at Ecclesiastes 1, and especially those first 11 verses, Ecclesiastes, Great Expectations. Now, if you have great expectations of life based on getting on, being, being a success, getting your exams, the achievements, and everything else, I mean, maybe, maybe your children, maybe they've just done GCSEs, perhaps they got a nine in their maths and their English language and English literature, as the exam system changes. Uh, if it did, well done, very well done. Uh, but in the end, academic achievements, career success, being well off, if our expectation of these is they're going to give us lasting satisfaction, then we will be disappointed. And your great expectations will just be popped like a pin in a balloon. But if your life is based on a relationship with God, then we should have great expectations of a life which is fulfilling and fun and meaningful and has a great purpose. And we can have all those things, a great life. Now what I want to do this morning, I'm going to look at four uh, words, well actually three words and then a little phrase, which helps us to unpack this first bit and actually for us to understand Ecclesiastes as a whole. So they're on the back of our order of service. And the first one is uh, uh, the word Koheleth. Or the teacher. Some debaters to whether it should have a U. I'm English. I like English grammar. Okay, so I think it ought to have a U. Uh, but it's a, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew. It's, an, it's the name of the teacher. So probably, if you're just doing a direct, a direct transliteration, it shouldn't have the U in it. Okay, it is pronounced Koheleth. Okay, and it means it's the word for the teacher. So just look at the first line. The words of the teacher, or we could say the words of Koheleth. And if you look at the bottom of the column there, right at the bottom, a little footnote there, it could be translated, leader of the assembly. It's a title, not a name. In the same way that I'm the vicar uh, and my name is Phil, there's a difference, okay? And Koheleth could be translated from the Hebrew in all sorts of ways. So it could be translated, the preacher, or the speaker, or the president, or the spokesman, or the philosopher, or even the professor. Uh, the translators of our Bibles have chosen the teacher. Fair enough. Who is he? Well, verse 1 does suggest, son of David, king of Jerusalem, that he is Solomon. But it's interesting, the name Solomon doesn't appear in Ecclesiastes. It does appear in his other two books, because he was responsible for Proverbs and for Song of Songs. His name appears there, but not in Ecclesiastes. There's a little bit of doubt. 
But actually, he's referring to himself there. And look at verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So uh, I reckon this is uh, Solomon writing. It's clearly Solomon writing. But then at the end of the book, there's a bit which talks about Solomon. And there was writing as a kind of like a compiler of the things that he said. So uh, I think what is happening here is that you've got, uh, this comes from Solomon's mind and his mouth, and there is also someone who compiled it and put it together, probably mostly at the time, possibly a little bit after his life as well. And, uh, um, uh, And what's happening? What is Gehelev doing? Well, he's thinking out loud. He's, um, he's working on why life seems to be so vacuous. What is, what is missing here? What is going on? What would give life meaning? And ironically, the thing which sucks all meaning out of life is the ultimate statistic. One in one. We all die. We will all die at some point. And the thing which gives all meaning to life is what happens after we die. Because you say, look, if this life is all that there is, and if, you know, when we die, that's it, oblivion, black, nothing. He's saying life is pointless. But actually what happens after we die, and the certainty that Christian people have of actually glory, of heaven, of paradise, that gives life meaning for all, for all time and for all eternity. And Gehelleth, the teacher, uh, we're going on a walk with him. We're kind of thinking out loud with him. We're exploring the meaning of life with him. Second important word. So the first one is Gehelleth. The second one uh, is Hebel. Well, actually, it's pronounced Hevel, H-E-V-E-L, Hevel. Okay? And, uh, uh, and it is translated here, look at verse 2, meaningless. Okay, that, that word, the word Hevel, comes 38 times in Ecclesiastes. It's a rather important word. Look at the top of the second column, verse 14. And it says, uh, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are Hevel, meaningless, chasing after the winds. Um, it is a word for which there is no direct and clear English translation. Um, but we need to grasp Hevel and what, it, what it's about if we're going to understand Ecclesiastes. Um, The NIV translates it meaningless. Other new versions, modern versions, translate it vanity. The old authorized version, these and thous, that that translated the word vanity. Uh, I've got a version at home, the Holman Christian Study Bible, which uh, translates it futile. And then it translates chapter 12 and verse 8. It says this, absolute futility. Everything is futile. Hevel is used of... uh, when you see your breath on a frosty morning. You, know, you go outside and you go, <sighs> and then it just disappears. Or Hevel is used of um, his pair of glasses. You know sometimes when you clean your glasses, you go, <gasps> and they huff up, and then within about f- three or four seconds, they're gone. But, uh, <gasps> and then you use the uh, condensation just to clean them. That condensation on your glasses is Hevel, because it disappears. It goes. Uh, it's actually uh, linked in with Abel, whose life was cut short by Cain, who didn't reach his potential. What a waste. And the thought of Havel is, um, you know, you're, you're born, you go to school, you maybe go to college, you get a job, you maybe get married, you get old, and you die. 
that it? What's the point? Life is just like vapour. It's like, um, Hebo is rather like this. Andy, have some, have some bubbles. If you're listening to this online, I'm just blowing bubbles, okay? Try and catch one. Tim, would you like some? I've got members of the band on the front row. And, uh, okay, you know, when you blow bubbles, if you're a... Um, I'll leave it up here if you want to have a play later. If, um, uh, if you want to blow bubbles, you grasp them and they've gone, aren't they? There's some on the carpet here. They've gone. They've all gone over by Andy and Tim over there. They've all gone. That's what he's saying. It's Hevel is like a child blowing bubbles. They look so good. They're fun. They're beautiful. And then, and they've gone. Samuel Beckett wrote a one-minute play called, interestingly, Breath. The play starts, the curtains draw back, and, uh, and it reveals a stage in total darkness. And then you hear the sound of a man's breath, like he's really quite struggling to breathe. And then the light comes on, and it reveals a stage just piled full of rubbish. And then the lights go out. And that's it. It's the end of the play. And he's saying, that's, that's life. Fleeting. Pointless. Meaningless. Vapour. Um, a week tomorrow, Anna and I are due to be starting to walk the coast to coast. Within the first half, we go to St. Bees Head near Whitehaven, and we're going aiming, hopefully, to get to uh, Kirkby Stephen. And uh, this last week, I got really excited because we need to get a new walking jacket, okay? Because uh, ours are no longer waterproof, and uh, we'd quite like to stay dry. So here's my new walking jacket. Um, see and be seen, you know, and uh, so here it is. Now, I was re- now, I'll tell you the truth, I was really quite excited to see, to, you know, know this was coming. When it arrived, I took it out of the thing, had a look, tried it on, it's okay, and then I thought, it's just a walking jacket. Okay? It's not that great. Oh, it is great, but it's not that important. It's not significant. The bubble popped within about five minutes of opening it. It's Havel. I wonder if you um, know who that is. can't say much for his taste in jackets. Talking of jackets, I can't say much for his taste in jackets, but uh, do you know who it is? Anyone know? give you a clue. He died in um, January 1978. He's American. Well, you can probably tell that from the jacket, can't you? <laughs> no? No ideas? Um, that's John D. Mc- Carther. He wasn't the Second World War general, uh, but one of only two billionaires in the States at the time. And after his death, there were loads of uh, newspaper articles about him and frequent discussions about his wealth and the impact it had on the world. Now, at the time, he was a very famous man. And it's not even 40 years ago and no one here recognized him. And my guess is, none of us know his name. Havel. And look at verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. 
Well, that's our second word. Our third word is this. It's yitron, or gain. And uh, have a look at verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors? Now, it could be translated profit or benefit. I, what's the benefit from all the stuff we do in life? Or what's the point? What's the gain in it? What's the, uh, what do we get out of this if in the end we die and pretty much everyone's forgotten us in 40 years' time? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Probably not even 40 years after we've gone. People will have forgotten us. Woody Allen said this, The fundamental thing behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and against death. It's absolutely stupefying in its terror, and it renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. As Camus wrote, it's not only that uh, he, the individual, dies, or that man as a whole dies, but that you struggle to do a work of art that will last... And then you realize that the universe itself is not going to exist after a period of time. And isn't that why we have midlife crises? We want to do something significant in life. And then, you know, you get to your 40s or 50s or something, and you you realize that, uh, well, in the end, we're mortal. We're just a vapor. And we say, well, what's the point? I must go and buy a Harley Davidson. So you do. How would you answer verse 3? What do people gain from all their labors of which they toil under the sun? You see, Kahelet here, the, the teacher, the preacher, he's pointing us to the, the futility of our desire to gain. And so by now, uh, we could well be thinking, really, this is hopeless, isn't it? I don't think I should have come to church this morning. I may as well go home, go to sleep, and not wake up. But the fourth word is actually a little phrase, and it is the key to hope. And it's this. They don't look like it, but let me just explain. The toil under the sun. It's the end of verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? The phrase really is under the sun. Okay? Now, everything we've looked at so far, and if you then go on, verse 5 and six, verse 5, the sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises, the wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning to its course, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. It's all to do with the earth, it's all to do with the, if you like, the down here. It's all to do with life under the sun. And if you never lift your eyes above the earth and life here and now, if your time horizon is next week and possibly next Christmas, but no much more beyond that, then I think that when you die, you rot, then that's all there is to it, then life is meaningless. It's a vapor, it's havel. It's a bubble about to burst. But there is another perspective. There is another alternative. So you look at verse uh, 13 here. I applied my mind to study and to explore why wisdom, all that is done under the heavens. And then just cut, gl- glance across to chapter 3 and verse 1. There is a time uh, for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. So you've got on the one hand under the sun and you've got on the other hand under the heavens. 
And under the sun, he's saying everything that happens here on earth, but when he talks about under the heavens, he's actually saying that there is a bigger perspective. He's actually bringing God into it. That is actually what he's doing there when he talks about under the heavens. You go on and, for instance, just turn the page, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He, that's God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And so on. And there are lots of little times in Ecclesiastes where he brings God into it. He's saying, look, life is meaningless. It is hopeless. It is vacuous. It is empty. It is a... And it's gone. Unless you have God in it. That's what he's saying. If you ignore that eternity in your heart, and you ignore the God who put it there, and you ignore the life which God longs to give you, then of course life is just a vapor. It's a bubble that's about to burst. Of course it's meaningless. And the alternative to seeking self-fulfillment is the pursuit of a God-centered life. And in the end, the answer to all the questions which Koheleth wrestles with is found in Jesus Christ, because one day he will return. One day there will be a judgment day, and one day you will be there. What's the point if the end of everything is death and then that's it? If that's the case, then actually nothing matters. But actually in the end, death is not the end. And because death is not the end, then everything matters. Everything we do, every conversation, every smile. Every heartbeat matters. And everything you've ever done, and everything you've ever said, and everything you've ever thought matters. That's why I asked Philip if he'd read from Hebrews as well. So Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, that will happen. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Salvation to those who are waiting. For those who know that there is more to life than just the here and now. And on that judgment day As Jesus, we stand before him, we can say, I've put my trust, my faith in you. And Lord Jesus, I know that your sacrifice is complete for everything that I've ever done, which is against or falls short of your glory. And uh, Lord Jesus, I've put my trust in you. Life does not end in death. There is a judgment day. There is an accountability day. There is heaven and hell. There is awfulness and there is salvation in Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes asks the big questions and it points us unerringly 
the one whom without a shadow of doubt in whom reside all the answers, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to find out more about Jesus, we regularly have Christianity Explored and Life Explored courses. Uh, Tim, who's sitting at the back over there this morning, is uh, um, going, he's waving at me. Very nice, thank you, Tim. <laughs> Tim's the man to oh, have a word with me or Peter to find out more about those. Um, or if you'd like to just now find out more about this Jesus who is the answer to everything, the answer to all these questions we're going to see in, in Ecclesiastes, then do come and have a, a talk to me or Peter. Or if you want to pray with someone, come and talk to the prayer ministry team who will be just on the front row here at the end of the service. We're going to be quiet for just a moment now. And then uh, back to Peter. We've seen that life apart from God is futile. But one way we can show obedience to God is to confess 